Our scripture reading today comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1-11. through 11. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. God, we're so grateful to worship you. You're so deserving of our worship, and you're an amazing God to think about, to talk about, to relate to. We're grateful for this opportunity to sit at the feet of your Son. Would you teach us how to be a resurrection people that bear witness to the risen Christ? Amen. Well, if the passage you heard a few moments ago sounds familiar, and if it seems like it was just recently that Kim read the scripture, it's because she read that scripture, that very same scripture to us last week. This is a passage that's so chock full of insight that relates to our current topic, and that is character. How do we develop character? It's part of a larger, longer discussion and journey about what it means to follow Jesus. And it's obviously important. Certainly talking about our faith, talking about what we're excited about is an important part of following Jesus. And, and yet, uh, you know, the New Testament, you can't, you can't go very far into any passage, any chapter, before you encounter something to do with Christian character. That's how important it is. We can talk about Jesus all we want, but if our character doesn't reflect our message, then we have a credibility issue. And the assumption is that if we are people of character, the character of Jesus, then people are going to ask us, okay, so how can you be so understanding and, and, and caring to this person, maybe your boss, and maybe a coworker who clearly abuses you and demeans you? How can you respond in the way that you do? That we, that we can explain why, what God is doing in our lives. And so uh, character is really important. 
and uh, it's reflected in the fact that there's any number of different words that relate to character, each having their own nuance, but, but all of them relating to this whole business of, of character. Words like righteousness, and holiness, goodness, godliness, virtue, um, and the word fruit, which is a good word to think about in relationship to character. I've defined character as our way of being in the world. It's not just our way of doing, as important as that is, but doing that comes out of our very being, our, our very being changing in such a way that we're thinking differently and speaking differently and acting differently. It's not just faking it to make it, in other words. And, and it's our way of being in the world, which can be messy and difficult and challenging and painful and sinful and even evil. That we can be good people, even in circumstances that make it very difficult to be a good person. And that's all important for our witness to the resurrected Christ. So um, last week we talked about the good life um, and uh, how being a good person is important for the good life. Um, and according to Peter, we have all the equipment that we need to be a good person, to be a godly person. In other words, we have what we need now to be the kind of person we may have wished we could be but have been unsuccessful at achieving in the past. And so he says, his, referring to Christ, divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Now, the word godly has become one of my favorite words in thinking about character. This is how I define godliness. It's living a God-centered, God-led, God-like life. And even being more specific, because the New Testament encourages us to be more specific. Jesus has just been referred to as our God and Savior. He's the focal point. He's who we focus on in knowing God and relating to God. So it's to live... A, a Christ-centered, Christ-led, we're followers of Jesus, Christ-like life. Now that's a tall order. But Peter says that we've been given all the equipment we need to pull that off. A few weeks ago, specifically on Palm Sunday, most of you know I was very frustrated because I had pretty much promised I was going to have a worship service for you to, to look at, to, to listen to at 10 a.m. It didn't happen at 10 a.m. It didn't even happen at 10 p.m. It didn't happen until the afternoon of the next day. And uh, I had gotten lucky the week before in posting a worship service to YouTube, and certainly Palm Sunday was a little more complicated. I had clips from different people from different sources, and I spent hours uploading that, that edited video to YouTube, probably about five or six hours. And then there's a finishing process that it goes through, and it took about an hour. And then after about an hour, after I'm seeing the percentage of, of success, at about 75%, it said, we can't complete this. Which was pretty frustrating, but was, what was even more frustrating, it, it didn't tell me why. It didn't tell me what I had done wrong. And so I'm trying to figure out what I maybe should do differently. I pulled different clips out, and, and I couldn't even get the edited version on my, my video editor to finish the process. 
I did a lot of research, lots of potential problems, and then what I discovered is that I already had the equipment I needed. It was an app called Handbrake. And while I had used it to sync the voice and the audio when these were out of sync, I discovered that this same, um, this same app could address all the potential problems that I thought might be the problem. And sure enough, I used that app the next week. I had to learn how to use that app, and it posted on time. I say all that to say that, that we have all the apps that we need. We have all the power sources, renewable energy that we need to be godly people, to be people of character. Peter says we, we have everything we need. We're equipped with everything we need to live a godly, God-centered, Christ-centered, Christ-led Christ-like life. And we might think, okay, <laughs> I didn't know that. So now I can just sit back and allow whatever that equipment is to do its thing. In fact, Peter's just talked about grace, that, that we are given grace and peace and abundance. And um, so we're good to go, right? I mean, we just have to sit back and let God do his thing. Well, that's not how it works. Um, what Peter says three times within the course of ten verses is, make every effort. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, and so on and so forth. A little later, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. And then later he speaks about himself. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. So until I breathe that last breath, I'm going to keep reminding you of these things so that you remember them after I'm gone. And some of you may be thinking, Pastor, I've tried that. I've tried effort. I've tried trying hard, and it doesn't work. I've tried really hard to be patient. I've tried really hard to manage my anger. I've tried really hard to control my eating. And it doesn't work. And I hear you. Ever heard the terms good cholesterol and bad cholesterol? You know, we associate cholesterol with bad. You want to get rid of that cholesterol. But there's something called good cholesterol. And good cholesterol actually cleanses the blood of bad cholesterol. Well, I have become convinced that there is good effort. The good, there's a good kind of making every effort and playing full out. And there's another kind of effort that I'm not going to say is bad effort because it can be helpful, it can be useful, it can do good things. But it, it's not as productive and effective as, uh, as, as the good kind of effort. He says, uh, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So yeah, there's effort that can be ineffective and unproductive. That can happen. Um, but there's a kind of effort that can be more productive, more effective. And um, that's the kind of effort we want to focus on. You know, what, what's the difference between the, the good kind and the less good or less effective kind? And I'm just, you know, I'm just beginning to learn about this myself, but the, the sort of things that occur to me are, are things like, 
know, the, the less helpful effort is driven by fear, anxiety, uh, the need to prove ourselves, overachieving, needing to stay one step ahead of shame. If I don't keep trying, I'm going to be in that place of shame. This need to prove myself, to justify my existence, there's all sorts of things that can be behind um, that, that less effective and less productive and less useful kind of effort. And it's often reflected in the fact that we can't stop. We can't seem to pause when we have the opportunity to pause. We can't rest when we have the opportunity to rest. But there's another kind of effort that um, has a sense of peace about it, that lives in God's grace. That's not self-centered, not needing to prove ourselves, but appreciates the opportunity to throw ourselves into this great work that God has given us to do. And, and so there's a lot of grace in it. There's a lot of joy in it. Not all the time, but, but primarily there's this sense of, this is what I want to do, and I, I really love throwing myself into it. And I think we've all had things in our lives that are like that. We were so focused and even now we have things in our lives. When we do that, we're so focused and we, we're making every effort to be successful. And it can even be fishing, for example, that we're on the edge of our seat and we're trying to figure out you know, what we can do differently to catch fish. And we're attentive and we just can't wait to get something on the line. And we just keep trying, even though we may go hours without even a bite. We all have situations where we make every effort and, and there's something that feels good about it. We feel fully alive when we're making every effort. That's the good kind of cholesterol. That's the good kind of effort. And I think it's what God wants for us and what he's actually equipped us to have. So um, I think an example of, of it takes our effort as well as God's effort is uh, is the conquest of, of Canaan by the, uh, by the Israelites. I'm reading this right now in my reading of the Old Testament, and that whole business of the conquest is, you know, it has its, its questions, its issues, but whatever questions we have, it's so important that we continue to learn from those stories. And I'm at that point where most of the land has been conquered. Joshua is about to die. God speaks to the people and says, you know, I've done this. I've led you. I've conquered your enemies. I've created for you a, a place for you to live the life I've called you to live. And you would gather from that passage that, you know, the people of Israel, even the soldiers, you know, whenever there was a battle, just grabbed a seat and said, okay, pass the popcorn, let's see what God does this time. But that wasn't it at all. The soldiers themselves played full out, and they were out there, you know, they didn't want to die. And that meant killing people. This was a life and death. The stakes were very, very high. And so they tried very hard, even though at the end of the day, their efforts wouldn't have been successful without God helping them. And so there's God's effort, and then there's our effort. And both are extremely important. God does the lion's share. There are things that we are not going to be successful changing in our lives, not in the core of our being. We can try to fake it to make, but in the core of our being, there are changes that are not going to happen without God's power and help and resources. And at the same time, 
We've got to work it out. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you, enabling you to will and to work for his good pleasure. So yeah, effort's important. So Peter says, make every effort. We want to do that with the good kind of effort, the kind of effort that Adam and Eve expressed and exhibited um, in the Garden of Eden, working that garden. Some of us are gardeners. We love working that garden. The kind of effort we're going to have in the new heavens and the new earth. We're going to play full out. We're going to be fully alive using that good effort to be a part of that creative reigning process. So in the time that remains, I want to say a few things about why. Why we would want to play full out. Work so hard at developing character. And then secondly, how do we go about that? And as far as the why, I'm going to go through these very quickly, although each of them is so important. One of the reasons is because of who Christ is and because of what he's done and because of what he promises. He's the Messiah. He's king. He's God. He's our Savior. He's Lord. And so let's say I wait on tables. And that's, a, that's an admirable profession. You know, we're, we're to serve people. And a person comes into the restaurant and they're a celebrity. You know, you know who this person is. Or a dignitary of some sort. Chances are that even if you tend to be a rather lazy waiter or waitress, when that person sits down, you're going to put your best foot forward. You're going to do the best job you can possibly do. You're going to make every effort to serve this person well because of who they are. But if you add to the fact that this person isn't just famous, but someone who has done something for you personally, and in this case, the reason why this, uh, this faith we have is described by Peter as being precious. He actually explains this in his first letter. It's because of the precious blood of Jesus that was poured out for me, this waiter or waitress serving the king. And that's all the more reason to want to put my best effort into serving the king. He gave his life for me. And then there's what he promises. Peter talks about these precious promises. There's the precious blood of Jesus and these precious promises. Very soon, the king or the person, the celebrity that we're serving right now, he's coming back. And he says, when I'm coming back, I want you to be with me. I want you to be a part of my kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth. You know sometimes how you say, well, it's all good. Well, frankly, it's not all good. A lot in this life, in your life, and in this world, that's not good. I can use it for good, that's true, but when I come back, it's all going to be good. All of it. Every day is going to be a good day. Everything that happens in each day is going to be good. Better than you ever imagined. Better than, than the goodness that was at the beginning of the creation. The new creation is going to be even better. So that's one reason. To work on our character and to play full out. Plus, the stakes are high. Yeah, we, if we're following Jesus, we can be confident we're going to be a part of that. In the next chapter, Peter talks about there's a judgment day. 
and he goes into some detail about that, but it's all in sort of vague language, and I've often said that this is way beyond my pay grade, and I wouldn't be surprised if we're surprised in often good ways. You know, Greg Boyd talked about how it's not just believing that's important, and that he wouldn't be surprised as God looks into people's hearts that there may be people who don't even believe exactly what we believe that are going to be a part of that kingdom. And that wouldn't surprise me at all, especially when I think of the parable of the sheep and the goats, where people didn't even know they were serving Jesus, but they were trying to serve people. So all that's beyond my pay grade. At the same time, the stakes are high. Death is real. And you know, sometimes I think a lot of us moderns are kind of adolescent when it comes to death. You know, an adolescent often has this sense of invincibility. You know, I, I, I'll never die. I can take great risks, but I won't get hurt. And we have that sense about death. We're just kind of cavalier towards it. That's really important. The stakes are high. A third reason is our calling. We're called to follow Jesus. Twice Peter refers to our calling, and in one context he talks about our calling and our election. And that reminds us of the, of the scope and context for our calling. We think of calling in terms of something individual, and certainly he calls us as individuals into something collective. To be God's elect is to be God's special people, and God's special people to be a special nation that, that engages in nation building, kingdom building. And so he asked that in this short time that we have before he comes back and we are a part of that new heavens and the new earth, that we engage in nation building. And I'm not talking about the United States or Sweden or the Netherlands or Russia. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. We pray for it. We work for it. You know, and, and we pray, you know, we, we, we roll up our sleeves and do our little bit to, to play a part in that kingdom, if not coming completely, at least giving the world a taste of it. And so we're a part of this elect group, this elect community. It's not election in terms of, oh, I'm just going to arbitrarily pick you to go to heaven and arbitrarily pick you to go to hell. No, God wants all people to be saved, he says through his servant Paul in his letter to Timothy. And it's our job to bear witness to God's love for people by how we collectively love one another and live out the faith, live out lives that exhibit the character of Jesus. So what's our calling? And finally, as we said last week, it's just a good thing to do because it's a part of the good life. We're gonna, we're gonna live a better life. We're gonna experience a better life. So how does it happen? You know, how do we become people of character? And we certainly want to emphasize that this isn't a matter of earning God's love or earning a place in that future kingdom. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. Rather than our, our thinking about of earning, we want to think in terms of learning. I think AA is a great example of this. And so a person comes to the point of saying, you know, I've tried really hard again and again and again. And I just can't lick this thing. I keep slipping back. And actually, that's my definition of an addict. An addict is someone who can't change themselves through willpower, through effort. And so they admit that. That's the first step of the 12 steps. But there are 12 steps. And no, you can't just decide to not drink for the rest of your life or use for the rest of your life. That's not a decision you can make, and it's not something you can do simply by exerting your willpower. But what you can do is learn 
and practice making every effort certain steps. And it may not be logical to you as to why this would make a difference for your drinking. Why I, I have to make a fearless moral inventory of my life and of my past, for example, and have to make amends to people that I've hurt, especially because of my drinking or using. I may not see the connection between that and getting better, but those are things I can learn. Those things are, are things I can work at. And by working those steps, working the program, it becomes possible day by day to stay clean. And not just to stay clean in terms of, of not using, but actually a life of sobriety, which is a positive quality of life. It's a spiritual quality of life. And so you work the steps in order to achieve that thing that you couldn't achieve through willpower, through effort. You apply that effort to learning certain skills. And, so, and that's what Peter is talking about here. And I can only, I don't have the time to go through that very quickly. But he could just say to us, okay, so what I want you to do is to love people. And I want you to love God. And leave it at that. And yet, I think all of us are finding that just trying to love people, just trying to love God in itself is not very effective and productive. At least we, we think there's got to be more to it than that. And so Peter lays out some steps. Before we can get to that place or be very good at that place and that skill and that quality and virtue of loving people unconditionally, no matter if they say thank you or not, no matter if they change or not, and, and keeping on loving them, even if they are our enemies and remain our enemies. If we're going to be able to love like that, we're going to have to learn some specific skills. Things that we can learn. Things that we can practice. And so he kind of builds a foundation and works up to that sort of agape love. He talks about faith. And we won't talk very much about faith right now, but it's this faith that that uh, learns to trust. And that's a learning. It's a choosing to trust God in this situation. That's where the letting go and letting God comes in. It's not just letting God change me. It's letting go of certain circumstances where I've done everything I can do and now I'm going to trust God. And that's something we can learn. We can practice. And then adding to that faith goodness. Greg Boyd in that video you saw said there are people who have beliefs but it doesn't make a difference in their lives. James says, faith without works is dead. And so we want to add to that wanting to do the right thing, trying to do the right thing. And sometimes we're not sure what that is, and that itself is a learning, okay? which brings us to the next thing he adds, and that is knowledge. And uh, you know, Greg Boyd said that knowledge is important. It's not all that's important, but knowledge is important. And Peter actually uses the word five times in this passage how important it is. So part of how I know what I believe, and I'm confident of what I believe, part of how I know how to be a righteous person is because of the knowledge that I've been given, especially through the scriptures. You know, this is, uh, Beth a little earlier talked about that story of the road to Emmaus, where Jesus opened the scriptures to those two disciples. And the thing is, with our faith, um, Peter says that it's this precious faith that we have, and a part of what makes it precious isn't just this attempt to believe. It's what we believe. It's what's actually happened. 
So we don't just attach ourselves to some teacher who has some ideas that we really resonate with. You, think, you know, I, I really agree with that. If I were to come up with a spirituality or religion, that's what I would come up with. I, I, I really resonate with that. No, our faith is based upon knowledge, upon events, upon history, upon the death and resurrection, as well as his whole life and ministry. And, and so Peter says a little later in this chapter, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That happened. And we're not sure if Peter was there then, but he knew people that were there then and heard that. Okay. And then he goes on to say, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Here he's referring to the Mount of Transfiguration. When Peter was you know, for sure present with James and John, and Elijah and Moses show up, and at one point there's this cloud that comes upon them, and there's a voice that says, this is my son the one that I love. Listen to him. So whether Peter was personally present at Jesus' baptism, he knew people that were there. It's very likely that his brother Andrew was there who encountered Jesus first. And Peter was present on that mountain. So these are events. These are, you know, I, just recently I heard and, and read about a, a consortium where there were scholars, biblical scholars, historians that came together to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. And many of them don't believe in it. They're not Christians. But almost all of them believe that these disciples witnessed something. They're not willing to say necessarily that it was the risen, physical risen Jesus, but they're saying, you know, the only thing that explains the risks they took, the torture they endured, and the, ultimately the lives they lost, is that they all saw, witnessed something. And so our faith rests on knowledge. And now we have more clarity, you see, about God because of Jesus. And the word knowledge here, gnosis, involves clarity. And it's a, a word that talks about, we, and we've experienced it first, firsthand. We've witnessed what God has done in our lives and in others. So I'll have to move quickly here. So there's knowledge, knowledge, self-control. And by the way, you have to work really hard at getting this knowledge. You have to work really hard in being in the Scripture. I still have to work hard. And it's a joyful work. I really trust that if I work really hard, really meditate, chew on, it's going to be fruitful. At some point, there's going to be some nugget, some gold, and, and it's going to be a potential game changer, at least something that will affect my character. But you have to work at it. And I can do that. You can do that. And the Holy Spirit is here to make it, make it fruitful and effective. Um, and then to our knowledge, we're to add self-control. See, this is a skill we can learn. And it's specifically the skill of learning how to say no to ourselves. Some of us have to learn how to say no to others. That's a whole other topic but learning how to say no to ourselves is an essential skill for learning how to love with agape love. 
Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you'll need to deny yourself. And we're not going to be able to deny ourselves in learning to love our enemy, for example, unless we've learned to deny ourselves, say no to ourselves in the ordinary activities of our lives. And that's a skill. We can learn how to do that. We can put effort into learning how to say no. So an alcoholic, for example, may not be able to say no on a permanent basis to drinking. But that alcoholic can learn how to say no when something in them says, you know, I don't think I need a meeting today. I don't think I'm going to go to a meeting today. I know they say 90 meetings, 90 days, but I, I don't need that. They can say no to that voice. They can do that. That's, that's possible for that. So we need to learn how to say no, how to engage in self-discipline and self-denial. That's all a part of loving. These are specific skills that then make the ultimate thing we want to do, which we can't just do through our willpower, possible, and that is to love with agape love. We add to that perseverance. Uh, agape love isn't a one-and-done uh, sometimes it is, sometimes we do something in that moment, but often it has, it's something that has to persevere that sticks with people. And, uh, and so we can learn how to persevere in all sorts of areas of our lives, in a skill that then serves our ability to persevere in loving. And then there's godliness. When you learn these kinds of skills, it becomes much more possible to live a Christ-centered, Christ-led, Christ-like life. You know, learning about Jesus in the scriptures. That's stuff that the Holy Spirit can bring to mind in discerning, okay, what is Christ leading me to do right now? What is the Spirit telling me? And then the next thing is a bit of a surprise to me, but it makes sense. Add to your godliness mutual affection. Sometimes we think of love exclusively in terms of agape of loving without expecting anything in return and, and doing it unconditionally. Well, that's, that's a great resource. It's an important resource, but that's not the only kind of love we experience in practice. There's also mutual affection. Jesus had friendships with Mary and Martha, Lazarus. At one point he said to his own disciples, I no longer call you servants but friends. It really helps to have relationships that are mutual, where there's mutual affection. And we're to work at that. This particular word for love is Philadelphia. It's brotherly, sisterly love. And we want to work at, at developing affection towards people who are different from us, focusing on their good points, uh, having sympathy for what's challenging in their lives. We want to elicit, grow in our affection. That's something we can gradually learn. But we need relationships that are mutual, mutual uh, enriching. And it's in those relationships that we often learn skills that will enable us to be showing love in an agape kind of love. And then there comes agape. And if we are learning how to deny ourselves at times to say no, if we're in the scriptures learning about Jesus and his way, if we're practicing trust whenever possible, if we're learning how to persevere, if, we, if we're learning how to be in relationships with people, then we're going to have the resources we need to show agape to people, to people who don't say thank you, to people who don't even change, who may even despise us, who persecute us for righteousness' sake. It becomes possible. 
And so there's the good kind of effort. And then there's the less effective effort. The good kind of effort savors and relishes the opportunity to throw ourselves into something we know is really important and ultimately rewarding for us and beneficial for others and for the world and for the cause. I hope this has been helpful. I feel like I'm just at the beginning of understanding some of this and uh, I would really encourage you to email me or or get me on the phone to, to share your own thoughts and insights. Let's pray together. God, thank you for clarifying some things for us this, this morning, at least for me. May these words be used by your Spirit to continue to guide each of us so that we learn the difference between that really real healthy kind of effort and the kind of effort that can be exhausting and and is driven by fear, frustration. And uh, Lord, may we learn the skills we need to learn, and may your Spirit guide us as to those things that would really help our ability to love one another and others. We pray for those things to be learned in this time, this time in which we continue to pray for you to come against that coronavirus, to sustain those who are caring for those in that situation, and those who are grieving the loss of loved ones, even within our denomination. Lord, we cry out for your mercy. We cry out for your intervention. Have mercy upon us, Lord, and save us. Amen.